should you decide to accept it. Another episode of the Your Missions podcast. Uh, we are listening this week to the head coach, The Good Times Are Killing Me. The head coach being one of uh, British garage rocker Billy Childish's many bands formed in 89. This album drops in 1993. Uh, just to get a couple albums in 93 that you may have heard of, Smashing Pumpkins' Siamese Dream drops in 93. Nirvana's In Utero drops in 93. Yeah, Pablo Honey, the first Radiohead album, drops in 93. If you're listening to the radio, you're probably listening to Aerosmith's Get a Grip. <laughs> or Meatless Bad Out of Hell 2. Bad Out of Hell 2. What, what's the song from Bad Out of Hell 2? I don't remember that one. I remember my parents owning it, but I can't remember the. Do you know what? Shout out, shout out to Jason Allenson. If by some miraculous, like, sort of, like, occurrence he's actually listening to this, but he definitely had Bad Out of Hell 2, the tape, in his car. It was, like, on his rotation. But I don't remember one song. Singles, I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. That's oh. not, wait, that's on two? That's not true. That's on one. Bad Out, bad out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell. <laughs> that's on one, though. The Hellening, oh my god. Well, I I, you know, the, the Wikipedia listing for singles is that track released August 30th, 1993. Okay, alright, that's weird. Yeah, I think this thought that it was on the first Bat Out of Hell is wrong. Uh, just straight up incorrect. Okay. You've right. got your bats and hells confused. <laughs> Alright. Maybe that's the song that I listened to. Listen, Hell had a three o'clock bat and a seven o'clock bat right. back and it who hasn't mixed them up, Dude, honestly. The schedules a, are here's something I've learned. There's a bat out of hell three, apparently. Huh. My own private hell has bats too, so uh, <laughs> it could be any bat at any time coming okay. out of any Wow, so hell. Ryan, that's, you're right. Um, the songs on Bad Out of Hell 1 are Bad Out of Hell, as you might imagine. You took the words right out of my mouth, and that's the name of the Isn't song, it? not not you actually took the words out of my mouth. Wasn't um, there one about a dashboard or something like yes, that? Yes, Paradise by the Dashboard Light, if you remember that's that one. And then the classic Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. Yeah, I'm we not should, that. We should, do, we should do meatloaf's bad. I don't know. Maybe that's the next one I'll wreck. I mean, like just, I'll, I'll just go on a streak of a punishment uh, for everyone. We, yeah. we could cut two albums into bats out of meatloaf's bats out of hell. <laughs> that's what I was saying. We could do a, a, a baddest bat out of hell. Like we could do bats out of. Hold on, I'm still working on this, okay. but preliminarily, we can do consolidation. Wait, hold on. Consolidated bats. No, nah, I'm gonna have to work on it some more. We're not. <laughs> yeah, we could go with we could go with meatloaf's hell bats a round trip ticket. <laughs> we could do uh, bat out of two acquires bat out out of hell one the acquisition slash merger. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm not. Uh, no. Yeah, but I think you're the only one here qualified to even begin to make that joke, and it worked, and I liked it. <laughs> you know what I remember? Just a complete a tangent, obviously, where we've given up on talking about this album, I guess. Um, Look, I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get there. there. We'll get there. Do you, uh, you ever read American Psycho? 
the Brad Easton Ellis book that the movie was made. One of the things in the book is that, and I don't know if it's in the movie, I can't remember. One of the things in the book is that he is constantly mishearing people say instead of mergers and acquisitions, they're saying murders and executions. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that from the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty. Every time someone says that, especially some like people I went to college with that ended up like corporate lawyers, of which there are far too many, I start thinking Patrick Bateman. Right straight to Patrick Bateman. It really would spice up the workday if that were the case, honestly. Jenny, when you go into work, do you guys do like a group sort of comparison of your business cards? Like, they all say the same thing. In American Psycho, there's a scene where they all, they're all they all like in the same kind of... They're in the same room. They're all in like finance. This is the 80s, Wall Street, whatever. They hand... Like one person gets out a card and Patrick Bateman just has this monologue about how amazing the, the quality of the card is and then each person keeps topping each other with the color and font and the quality of the card. And like it like crushes the soul, like that he has an inferior yeah. business card. So yeah. we, we have neatly eliminated that because since we all work for the same government agency, our business cards are identical <laughs> except for except for title and name like they're pretty much the same okay, cool. so there's, there's no card envy which is nice but <laughs> i will say that i just realized having said that and made a joke about it i realized that in my line of work we actually show up and do talk about murders and executions so nice <laughs> maybe it would be nice for a change to talk about mur no it wouldn't actually i'd still rather talk about murders and executions well, speaking there, of yeah. murder Mm -hmm. I'm trying to transition back to this album, dude. Uh, like, there, like this album, one of the things about the I don't know if we pay attention, you guys pay attention too much to the lyrics, but most of the songs are about, like, how he's so pissed off and angry at various women for treating him wrong. They, yeah, there's quite a few tracks that, that, that tie in his, like, rejection angst. Including this one, yeah. right? <laughs> like, it, yeah, which one? Oh, it, it was, was too late? late. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, so this is the God. What's the line from Monty Python? Why are you always going about women, Billy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. He's got a lot of feelings about women. Most of them negative, it seems. Yeah, angry. Again, I, again, I feel like the thing that offsets that well, which is we're getting closer to talking about the album, which is not really a feature on this album is the head coatees which were the like the touring side band made up of holly go lightly who i believe was at one point dating the drummer for the head coats um, all right for my benefit and for <laughs> the watcher's benefit because i didn't get around to the doc explain to me how the head coatees came into being was that like a purposeful like all right we're gonna have some women join us and, and perform some of these songs or different ones with us, or how does this all fit together? Yeah, so I, the doc, so the documentary, which is, what was the name of the documentary? Anybody got it on the tip of their tongue? Yeah, wait, it should be in the chat. Sorry, obviously I've got my shit together as usual. <laughs> I'm glad that you guys are uh, able to enjoy oh, that. Oh, I've, I've really um, got my shit together. So, Billy Childish is Dead is the documentary that I recommended to the group. It mainly just focuses on Billy Childish, though, and this is in a post-head coach world. So, 
the thing that in terms of wikipedia the head coats were formed as, as intentionally as a backing group he wrote a lot of the songs for stuff that didn't he didn't feel like suited his bands and yeah so holly golightly the lead singer of the head coaties did a cameo appearance apparently and then added her to this band that he had formed called the delmonas for their backup band and then they renamed it the head coaties which is a much better name but yeah but it's largely like a touring band but they de- they have their own records that they've recorded they're like two well. records right uh, I believe so. Let's see. It looks like they've got Wikipedia lists uh, seven different albums. One of them a singles compilation called The Sisters of Suave. Yeah. Let me just say this. I listened to this record throughout the week, and uh, it was fun. It was really fun. It wasn't like a, uh, an exercise in like doing homework, which is what I felt like listening to the T Swift album was. It was easy to listen to. Um, the songs blurred together for me a lot. Yeah. There's some. There's. There's more. Like the first time I listened to it, I was like, "This is cool," but there's not a ton of variety. I, I don't agree with that anymore. I like just listening to it over and over again. There is actually. So within within think, like a range, there is actually a lot of variety. Yeah, and, and what I would say is that like this is a style of music that has a very stripped down sound and is mainly like the main benefit tends to be live performances with which are always high energy but it's very simple so the tone doesn't really change except when they turn on some higher reverb right like then they do a little bit of surf instrumental type stuff yeah like but really the variation comes in you know just the tempo and the patterns, right? The 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 different yeah, different yeah. riffs and fills, etc. So for me, like there's some songs that are a little more whatever, kinda old school garage rock. And then there's some songs that are more punk. And then there are the kind of surf tangents and like instrumentals and stuff like that. And honestly, that's fine. That's all good. We don't need Steely Dan level of we're going to do a fucking Santana song over here and then we're going to do a hard rocking song over here and then like it just doesn't, not necessarily. Yeah, one of, the, one of the things that he's really known for is promoting amateurism. So he's not really, there's not a ton of history in what he's playing. There's not a ton of variation of influence. It's very clearly power chords, a little bit of distortion, a lot of reverb. I, look, man, that's cool. I dig it. Listen to a lot more of this music. Okay, so a little, I guess, background for me is I got turned on to... Okay, first time I heard anything like this was when I got the... rented the VHS of Pulp Fiction. Okay? This was when I was like, well, I don't know, 14 or something like that. Ryan, you may have even... We may have even watched the movie together the first time. It's possible. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, that one's hard to pin down. I think but, I may have actually uh, watched that for, for the first time. I may have watched that for the first time in Peru. In my, now that I think about it, at, at my um, cousin's house. But that was the first time I'd ever heard like surf music that, was, that wasn't like Beach Boys, like Surf Safari or some shit like that. Like actual surf music from that time. And kind of music that had a little bit more of a nostalgic feel like pre-hippie 60s like psychedelic and all that 
And instantly I loved it. There's that scene in Pulp Fiction where Vincent Vega, John Travolta's character, is like shooting up. He's like shooting up heroin. He just bought some good heroin and he's shooting up in the car. Do you remember that? And mm -hmm. they and uh, it's Link Ray's song Rumble. Yeah, that's which is probably yeah. It's hard for me to say that's the first time I heard Rumble because I think that was for the me, first time for me. Like for me, I I got a lot of the this style of music from my dad because at the time he was he had owned a street rod that they had rebuilt. Right, so right. we had done some like street rod shows on the East Coast. Okay. So cool. it's basically like a bunch of middle-aged men <laughs> and they're like 1930s cars with big engines hanging out and staring at each other's cars all day. But the whole time the speakers are just constantly playing like 60s rock and roll, like 50s, 60s rock and roll. So there's a lot of adventures and things like that being played. There's maybe a little bit of Link Ray. Link Ray seems a little edgier than that crowd would have gone for. But, but yeah, so for me, that was, my history was a combination of the Pulp Fiction soundtrack, being introduced to the cramps when I was younger, so I didn't have a lot of cramps in my rotation. And yeah, the street rod shows that my parents went to and all the like, <laughs> 60s rock that played there. I think the other thing for me was I didn't really know. I'd heard this music by like the time I was in my 20s, but I didn't really know too much about it. But a guy that we knew, Ryan, this guy Brandon, what was his last name? Brandon Jones. Brandon Jones. Yeah, yeah we knew this guy Brandon Jones in Fairmont, and he had an amazing like collection of CDs related to like basically everything surf and garage he just yeah he he just was really like he had a friend who had the constant feed coming to him of like this type of like indie music right stuff that we weren't getting coming from i think maybe a friend on the west coast at that time yeah and then so to me like i always think about I remember we went to we went over to his place and he he had this like room where he had all these CDs. It was just like, and and I think did he play guitar too? Yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah, so I remember going in there and it's again for the younger viewers. It was like, it was so awesome to see all this music like in one place that you never. It, it was. That you never heard of. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it was all cool. Like you never heard of any of it, and it was all like awesome. Yeah, it was reliable. You could pick a handful of CDs out of there and, and find stuff that you didn't know existed. And uh, it was really fun. This is like, the way I compare it is, okay, if you ever read this book, there's a book by Umberto Eco called The Name of the Rose, which was also made into a movie, I think, starring maybe Sean Connery as a monk and I think Christian Slater's in it randomly. <laughs> anyway. But it's so it's about these monks that take care of this like the, the basically the world's biggest library, which is in their abbey. Okay, and it has like thousands of books. And at the time, like a, a place like that was basically like heaven to anybody trying to do like scholarship, <laughs> which mostly monks at the time. And so for me, it's not quite that level, but. Yeah, this so was... walking in there, it was really, it was just like, holy shit, all this cool stuff exists, it's here, I can rip it, or whatever. It was like walking into a radio station. Like, it was like going into a college radio station 
except that wasn't just mailed in as promotional content. Like it was, yeah, it was a good selection. Yeah. So I think I, yeah. I feel like I came out of that and then l listened to a bunch of that stuff and, and just gained like even a newer, better appreciate. I'm pretty sure that's the first time I heard the head coach and I'm sure I'm sure it was the Sound of the Baskervilles album. Yeah, it was the Sound of the Baskervilles album, right? Exactly. Yeah, which is a great live album, which would have been a good option, but it came out a little bit later, and I just wanted to hit something in the '90s, uh, especially like I think part of the idea was that like I was definitely not listening to this in 1993. Oh like, yeah, certainly. <laughs> I I would imagine like this wasn't really available in the U.S. in '93, or if it was super exclusively available very large cities um, and very obscure record shops. Yeah, no way we would have had access to this. This is and, and like yeah. the confounding thing, Ryan, is you can't find you can't find fucking information about some of these records online. Which yeah. is like completely confusing to me. Like it's disorienting. Yeah, so the closest I can really talk about in terms of this record is essentially like who's playing on it. But it's almost pointless to talk about who's playing on this album because <laughs> if you've heard of anybody, you've heard of Billy Childish. And it's his vision. You know, drum, it's his stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but drums were Bruce Band, bass was Johnny Tub Johnson. Like, this is a three piece. And not for nothing, that's one of the beautiful things about garage rock to me is that you can get some really big sound out of a three piece band playing this stuff. And you don't have to be like, Berkeley educated like guitarist like it's a lot of power chords and just what sounds good to them and it's all mic'd like you're listening to it live like the sound on this album really catches their live sound the only difference is you've got an audience participating on a live album dude I yeah, can't wait to go fun. back to a fucking show to go to a concert yeah um, yeah. Oh my God, dude, tell me dude, I'm yeah. just like suffering. Like I was thinking about it yesterday. I was just like, I don't remember the last show I went to. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know either. I, the last show I went to was to see Tobacco in Columbus at Columbus's Meow Wolf. There, it's called Otherworld, and it was a. I guess it was a high note. To end on even though I didn't know it was gonna be the last one for a while at the time but it sucks because just the other day like tobacco was doing like a Q&A on Instagram and I was like yeah you, you thought about doing something outdoors man because I miss shows miss your shows like there's got to yeah. be some outdoor venues somewhere right yeah yeah it's interesting that drive-ins have become a thing again. Now that they're all wiped out, the few that are still around are, like, pretty popping. Yeah. That's one good thing. You know, I, I think, Yeah, you it know, would be nice to see that spin back up. Right? Like, um, but it, it needs to have the smattering of B-movies required for a drive-in. So, Ryan, that I spent, like, a couple days researching whether or not I could just open a drive-in. Really? Go on. Tell me more. If you got $10,000 and no expectation of making that money ever back, I think I could put together a drive-in that could play movies many times. But where are you getting the land, though? Yeah. Or is that so, where the $10,000 comes in? <laughs> yeah, so a big chunk of that would be like renting like either a parking lot or some kind of place that would work. But it's not easy so to, to do it like you need porta potties right because otherwise people are paying to get in 
then they're like leaving to go to the bathroom. Like whole families are coming in. So you need porta potties. So you need people to like run the porta potties so people don't like create like a COVID super spreader event. Porta potties are fucking expensive, man. <laughs> they're like two hundred dollars to rent for a weekend. The cheap ones. Um, and this is assuming I'm building the screen DIY, which I found all these great directions on how to do like an enormous screen DIY. It's assuming that there's no, not too much wind. If there's a bunch of wind, then that screen, uh, that screen. Like, Gonna get ripped apart. I remember the drive-in that was outside of Moorfield when we were growing up. And there were a few windstorms that damaged it in a way that it had to be repaired before they would open back up. Yeah, there's just, yeah, it's tough. And also, like, the other thing is, at the time, the governor had just recently explicitly banned drive-ins, like, in New Mexico. Like, they, they changed that. But it, I, I, I was, like, doing the numbers. I was doing the math. I was just to break even, I'd have to charge, like, 50 bucks a car. Or some, yeah. Some shit, just, like, some crazy shit like that. And so then I even I, started thinking, like, I started thinking, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll do it, like, once. And just just for just a charity like for the community or something like that like I'm not trying to make my money back just spent but but even just the initial cost of building the, all this shit it just it, so, it doesn't make sense for me to do it I guess one of the things that I wanted to do at one point was do kind of like gorilla park shows like yeah, after awesome. we yeah. after you and I went to see plan nine in Philadelphia yeah in the cemetery i was really eat up with this idea of getting a projector and a portable screen and setting up in a park and showing movies but then i realized the movies i wanted to show were not movies that i could get away with showing in a park <laughs> oh so the other thing jenny is the plan would have been to just play public domain movies because yeah. to have to pay for the rights to be able to screen one of these movies and be legit it's yeah. not not cheap either so i had a whole so plan nine is a public domain movie so is Night of the Living Dead, so I, I thought, okay, we could do like a kind of midnight screening or 10 o'clock screening, Night of the Living Dead, Plan 9, and then you start looking at like public domain movies, and most of them are really old. The best you can hope for is like setting up some kind of mystery science theater scenario where you're watching a bunch of movies people haven't heard of and people are ripping on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The reality is like, we could do a Discord and like a watch together for Without real cheap. Without a ten thousand dollar investment. Yeah, for real cheap. Put it on the TV. I, we can talk yeah. shit about whatever movie it is we're watching together. All we want. But anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. So God, sorry. We're yeah. Far but, off this no, yeah. Sorry. It's, so, it's it's just not feasible for me to do it. Unfortunately. Yeah. All right. So the album, as we've talked about, it's hard to find much coverage. I, I don't know. We know when it was released and the name of the band and the track titles. And, you know, that's about the extent. There's not many album reviews. The ones that are there have come out for, like, compilations or re-releases, like, in the last couple of years. So, yeah, it's a very simple UK garage band with a want... multi-talented frontman. I want to talk about more about Billy Childish. Yeah. See, I almost did so, it there. I almost did it. This is real close. Yeah. This is real, real close. So, close. I don't even... If you've heard of Billy Childish, you may have heard of Billy Childish because of a, a temporary beef he had with Jack White of the White Stripes. Jack White and the White Stripes played Top of the Pops 
and in it, Jack White had Be Childish written along his arm for the entire performance, I believe. But of course, being the pure artist that Billy Childish is, when GQ apparently interviewed him about it, he was quoted as saying, for the White Stripes, they don't have a good sound. Jack's half end of the sound in music, but then he wants to be a pop star as well. So you've got a big problem. This is a guy that is not looking for stardom. He's looking at playing in a garage pub band and having fun with it. And um, yeah. I think I think that I'm reading a little bit more about him, he apparently ended up going to an art school, which he eventually got kicked out of. I think he was the fuck up in high school or whatever they call it in Britain. Secondary school or whatever. And I don't think he ever finished. I think I read something that he was dyslexic, undiagnosed dyslexic, never finished. Yeah. Did a bunch of did a bunch of art, got into this art school, got kicked out. They put it put him in contact with this like kind of art scene which was like called the Stuckist art scene. So I guess he started the Stuckist art scene and then backed out of it. Um, <laughs> sounds like sounds started about right. it and stepped away from it. Yeah. And so I think the idea with the Stuckist was that it was like really, it was just really an anti-contemporary art movement, right? I think one of their credos was like, if you don't paint, you're not an artist. And it was like, again, it was striking against, I don't know, performance art or contemporary the, the, skill the, the, trade sort of art. Right, like the toilet in an empty room, right? Yeah, with, but here's the I, I read a little bit. They actually liked Duchamp. And there was some explanation uh, okay. as to why they like to shop or whatever. But yeah, so like they, that was their aesthetic or whatever. It makes total sense. It's like very on brand with the kind of music he makes, right? And so, like in other words, the music he makes fetishizes like the energy and like spirit, how easy it is to do, right? Of like early rock and roll. So something like a Steely Dan or a Yacht Rock or whatever would just be like yeah. anathema. Right, like to these guys, because it's now it's much more about like the technical ability of the musician, and much more about and less more about everything else that for him is like not important, and less about the actual sound and the spirit and the energy and all that. And I was thinking about it, and it's I, I guess I just don't know why like these things always have to be either or for some of these people. And like, I, I don't want to relitigate like the whole punk thing, but I feel the same way about to me punk is a reactionary movement. It's reactionary. It's, man, rock and roll lost its way. Let's get back in touch with like the authentic spirit of rock and roll. It's like a very like authenticity based like movement. And I just, I don't know, man, I, I don't care. I guess I don't care if it sounds good to me, if it's interesting to me. I don't care if it's like high art or low art or whatever. And and you can't tell me that like the like Steely Dan is like soulless. Like you can listen to some of that stuff, and you can listen to some of the sure. other stuff in the seventies. Yeah, it was very like very technical, but I I think uh, it's important to have I think it's important to have bands like this and the Ramones that remind you that all you need to do is go pick up a fucking guitar and like learn a couple power chords. And then find a couple people that play other complementary instruments or uncomplimentary instruments and really do some weird shit. But yeah. like, 
You listen to Steely Dan and you want to maybe learn an art. You listen to the head coats and you want to poke a hole in an amplifier, <laughs> plug a guitar into it yeah. and bang power chords in front of a room full of really drunk people. And both of those things are super valid. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't think I couldn't have said it better, honestly. Like, I, and I love the, the whole DIY, like, just fucking do it thing. I love and I don't know, like it's something like in in the world, and and that's why that's I think that's why it was called the Stuckist Art Movement. Like the quote was like, like some somebody that would look at this contemporary art and say just like this art is just like stuck. And like it's I use the same phrase with a lot of people, like some people I know where, like they are creative, intelligent people, and they just create every like fucking reason imaginable why they can't do the thing it is that they want to do. And I'm not saying like everyone can just drop everything and do exactly what it is they want to do, but I see people that are stuck and it like drives me insane. Because I felt like maybe I was a little bit that way in the past and I just want to be like, yo, like, just fucking do it. Just go and do it. And like to me, this is like a, a music project that is that, right? They just fucking got the guitar. They just got the fucking drums. They just got on the fucking stage. They wrote about all the women that have pissed them off, apparently. <laughs> By the way, this song we're listening to right now, She'll Keep You on Standby. I don't know if this is like yeah. a podcast regular like thing, but this is definitely the dick in the box song of the album. I think we've referenced that a couple of times. Anyway. Yeah. They're angry about a variety of things. They're young white men. They're angry about women. Like, this is a very standard thing in the 90s for sure. That's where their angst is focused in some of these songs. But yeah, I don't know, they're fun. Toma, you've been awfully quiet. You have some thoughts? Did you had you heard of these guys prior to this listening to you? I nope, this one was new to me. No, I was just I was actually just thinking what it would be like if instead they had made an album bitching at all their ex-mates about all the things they'd done to piss them off over the years. It was, and it's just, I, I was wondering, are they, are they writing these songs, are they so frequently mad at women because that just, maybe their mates are tight. Maybe their mates just haven't pissed them off. I don't know, like what maybe. the gender disparity is here. But uh, that would be a, that would be a fun thing to find is the, the angst rock album about how your friends are dicks. Does that ex- wait? Does that ex- hold on? Let me that think. Has, about that it. has to exist somewhere. I mean, it has um, to. I mean, at like, least there's gotta been there. Even if there's not a whole album, there's gotta be some songs. Generally, like generally, this sort of sentiment is framed as like the world, right? Like for example, like on this record, right? Like I wasn't made for this. I was made yeah. for this world. Like it's more fuck the world and not like fuck these very specific group of people like that are <laughs> my quote unquote friends. But I'm sure that there are. I'm sure that could be a good challenge. I, like, one, fuck your friends so mixtape or whatever. <laughs> I think specifically in that song, there's a line of, I hate my friends, or I even yeah, hate people yeah, I think I you're like. Right. Yes, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah yeah. 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 So so it's not all hating the women that treat them poorly in different ways. But it's mostly that, I would say. It's like... It's a lot of it. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it's mostly that. Look, dude, again, I, I agree with you, Ryan. Like, I don't have a problem with that. Like, they're young, like, dudes. And, you yeah, know, there's a certain kind of young dude has a lot of anger. Sometimes that anger is going to be directed in that way. It's like, I don't have, like, a 
a problem with it for the sake of like diversity, right? Like when it comes to like punk music or this kind of garage rock and stuff like that, it would be nice to spread the fucking like buckshot a little bit more like around. Yeah, I hate it a little bit. I think that's what you're getting yeah. at a little bit, Jenny. If I can. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I was just like, it, it, we've talked. This has been a theme in in a series of. We talked about how that the Weezer lyrics just did not age super well, and a lot of it was. <laughs> Some of it was about women, and I was like, it's true that it's a, an ever-present theme, but I wonder if, like, now that there's more female artists that are more popular, I guess the first instance I can really think of maybe would be, like, you're so vain, but there's also, like, scrubs. And I was like, I, I don't know, I feel like the women might be giving it back as good as they're getting, but they just, there are just more of the men, or there have been more historically. So, I don't know. So I'm not yeah. sure, I'm gonna have to think about so, it. So, you know that song on this, on this record, it, it Was Too Late, right? Yeah. Um, so, on the, so this morning, I took Josephine, my daughter, to jujitsu, and it's a little bit of a drive, and we kind of got a late start, so we were kind of trying to get out the door quickly. I left my phone, and once we left, I realized I left my phone in. So I, God forbid, I had to turn the radio on. And so I did. Sorry. And, and yeah, but it's funny. This is what I realized that my relationship is with the radio now. Half the time it was me apologizing, Josephine. I'm sorry, this sucks, this is awful. Okay, let's change the station. And then the other half was like, oh, this is a good song I haven't listened to in a while. So they, there's like an old school kind of hip hop and R&B station here. I think it's like 95.1. But anyway, they were playing like En Vogue, Don't Let Go, which I hadn't heard like probably since that school, high school dance. <laughs> Some shit <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> anyway, but right when we were about to get home on the way back, this Carol King song came on. It's too late. That song. It's, it's too late, baby. Yeah, it's too late. You, you, come on. Right. It's like a, everyone's a the song. I'll, I'll play it in the after party. But anyway, it's definitely it's like straight up a song about breaking up or divorce or some something like that. And she's saying it's too late. We tried. We really tried to make it. And then she says something inside has died. <laughs> That's so it's. You do hear those songs, and, and I feel yeah, like they, they do exist, and, and like they, they come in and out of the popular consciousness, like from women. I mean, yeah. doesn't, doesn't Taylor Swift it, have that song, a song like it, that? Uh, yeah, I feel like she's hated on some dudes. Maybe it's more <laughs> that like when things go bad, like the women are more more likely to be sad about it, where men is more like some of these men are more likely to be angry. Angry. Dude, this, I, is, this is worth exploring, but I'm not I, sure. I, I, no, I agree. I agree. I agree with what you're saying. Personally, I think I get sad, but it, it depends on the situation. But I also do get angry. Yeah. Like, they, they both happen, and they feed into each other a little bit. And I'm not really talking about, like, women, per se, but, like, just shitty situations. Like, you, you just you get disappointed. And then, I don't know, it's like, how are, what, what are the steps of, you get, <laughs> I, I skip denial, because I, I can't lie to myself. <laughs> then you get right to, okay, this shit happened, and I'm, I'm bummed out. And then you go, okay, now let's start assigning blame. All right, how much do I need to hate myself? How much do I need to hate other people? You start working through that. 
I feel like this is like, I don't know, maybe I'm just talking out of turn here, but I feel like this is okay. this is like the normal like progression of these kind of feelings, right? Like when you're disappointed. Yeah. For, for a dude. I don't know, Ryan, like you're, <laughs> the other representative of the male gender. Uh, <laughs> no, look, like there's aggression and anger that's kind of built into how a lot of guys process any kind of emotion. And there's a great history of loud angry rock and roll that you know is largely based off of the things that have made them feel that way turns out like especially if you're an angrier person relationships can be a pain so they there's a, a plethora of, of angry sad music J- angry, J- sad jenny music. is there a female comedian equivalent of lewis black do you know what i'm talking about Louis Black, he is, he's just, he's a comedian. He was on The Daily Show. He did a bunch of, like, Daily Show, like, yeah. segments. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He's and, like, angry his, all the time. Yeah, his whole thing is he's just, like, basically screaming at you yeah. in outrage, like, the whole Like, like Gilbert Gottfried, except for, like, just real mad. Just real time. mad, yeah. Gilbert, because Gilbert, yeah. like, is, you can tell he's, he's having fun. Yeah. <laughs> he's just real loud. He's just real loud. He's having fun yeah. with himself. Um, <laughs> Well, not to drag grad school into this, but Mm. back in the day, I was doing a lot of research on emotional communication, and there was some theory that I've forgotten the proper name of, emotional something theory. And it basically had almost like a color wheel of all the emotions. And the thing about anger is that it's basically what results when you've been prevented from reaching some goal you wanted to reach. And like in a very technical sense or a clinical sense, if you were really trying to like bang this girl or be, have her be your girlfriend and she, you perceive her to be the reason why that didn't, you were frustrated from that goal, then like anger is a very biologically natural reaction. Not that it's great. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. Okay, I do want to bring up one other thing, which is the song called Pedophile, which made, or, sorry, Pedophile, maybe, that's how you say it in, yeah, in British English. So that was on my cut, that was on Jenny's cut. It didn't make my cut. It was not on my cut because I felt like eight tracks were too many. Mm. And Yeah, I agree. So the interesting thing is I read a little something about this song. I think it was released as a single. Okay. Really? And on the cover of the single, and maybe, I don't know, maybe I can pull it up somewhere, is supposed to be is a picture of the man who sexually abused Billy Childish when he was young. He yeah. Was a young boy. It was like a family friend or something, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, that's right. They, they talk about this in the documentary, apparently. And so that kind of stands out. I mean, that that's a ballsy way to call out your abuser. Release a song called Pedophile and put their picture on the single. Yeah. Like, it's very clear. Very clear. Okay, yeah, I'm going to pull it up. Okay. Yeah, I'm um, on, uh... Here we go. Yeah, apparently it was that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Really intense. It's heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. Um, but also good on him for just being like, yeah. I'm just gonna do a very public fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's not somebody that 
takes a subtle approach at things. So um, it's not all that out of character, but it's still very like upfront and ballsy to just and that's the put thing, that out there. That's the thing. Okay, so there's a bunch of bands I like that do this kind of music, including these guys that I'm wearing yeah. wearing their shirt right here, King Khan and the Barbecue Show, which is King Khan and Mark Sultan. And the interesting thing about the the head coach Billy Childish is. His songs are like they're angry and aggressive. These guys' songs, they're fun. Like they're really fun. Yeah, it's just a different. It's a different vibe. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. But that's the thing that stands out to me with this. And just there's a song. (laughs) There's a song where he calls out his like abuser. It's an instrumental, so he doesn't exactly call him out, but. It's a song about that. The implication is there. No, just yeah. yeah. You know what you did. I don't even have to put words in here. Yep. I, I think all of them are very serious about the music. I think Billy Childish is largely pretty serious about like himself, right? Whereas King Kong and Barbecue, like those guys, they're happy to not take themselves that seriously, and it makes it a little bit more fun in terms of the experience sometimes but all of them bring great energy live and yeah just to look at billy childish he's a little insufferable but that's what you get with a handlebar mustache and a, a, a what do they call it a deer stalker isn't that the the name of the hat um, <laughs> I guess, yeah i guess yeah so, yeah so it's a it's a deer stalker and it occasionally gets called a head coach because of this band is that right? Okay, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So he's influenced the he's influenced the name of hats. Yeah, yeah. Okay. A lot of their early images. So the Deerstalker hat is it has the ear flaps, right? It's the Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was still a lot of yeah. It's still a lot of fun to listen to this week, and actually really fun to work to even. Like it just gets you going. <laughs> It's simple, it's high energy, it doesn't try and present itself as something it's not. It's very genuine. It's also got a very like Stooges-esque approach to lyrics in that they're not overly complicated. Yeah. What, what, Jenny, what was your favorite what was your favorite song? It was too late as Mark is my favorite. Okay, got it. Um, Which I think I put first. I think I I should put my playlist maybe in the order that they sound best played, but I actually don't. I put them usually in order that I like them. Oh, I see. Okay, I did not. Yeah, I I end up doing, once I get it built into a playlist, I start shuffling what order I want to hear them in. That's interesting. Yeah, no, yeah, I try, I I do try and put them together in in an order that I think would make for like a fun listen and has like a little diversity and stuff. But I'm just, I'm just avant-garde over here. I don't give a fuck if you like the order. This is in descending of best to to worst. So what's interesting though is like the last track on all of our cuts is She'll Keep You on Standby, which is the last track in the song. There's just something about like playing with the tuning of your guitar that sounds like you're breaking it it sounds like yeah this is where the album should live so like, or this is where this should live on the album i i it's last on there only because the first bit of the song was a little bit caught my attention less but i do really like the breakdown that happens partway through i like that so alonzo let's yeah. let's talk about some tracks 
that maybe one of us has, the other one doesn't. So okay. For you, your first, like the first song you have that no one else seems to have is I'll Be Out of Here. I'll Be Out of Here. But that's the song we just listened to. I'll, I'll, I'll put it there again. Yeah, go back to it. Yeah, just... What, like, what stuck out for you about this? Um... It's got, it's got that very, like, punchy, like, angry, very punk vocal. That's what I was about to say. This is the, this to me, like, when I was saying, like, this sounds a little more punk versus other songs that sound a little more garage. This song is the song that sounds a little bit most, like, the most, like, early punk, which is, like, fucking cool. It sounds like hardcore. Like, it, yeah. it's like hardcore punk. Like, right. it's... It's aggressive and fast and angry. Yeah, yeah. Again, this is, I don't know. Um, this is maybe one of the angriest against songs in the, on the record. <laughs> it's a tough one. There's a many in the running. But I just look, felt like the like, emotion of it is just like super angry, like middle fingers and all that. Yeah. Look, I don't think any of us are walking around angry at women more than we're angry at anybody else anymore. I'm always, I don't I, feel I'm like we. I'm always going to hate myself more than anyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always. So, <laughs> That's a, just a guarantee. Like, I don't think we need to defend... We're not in a position to defend their anger, right? This is 1993. They recorded this. They wrote these songs. Like, I enjoy them because he could be angry at lemurs, and I'd still be like, <laughs> this is that song where he's super pissed off at lemurs. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, that's matter. the way. But, but you know, it's for me. I, I wouldn't say I'm a lyric person, but I hear the lyrics. Like, yeah. When I listen to the music, I do. I listen to the lyrics. I, I like, love the end me, of the song, I, like just how insane it gets and how his vocals are yeah. like, super distorted. Yeah, his vocals like break at a few points, and that's some of the stuff that I love about this is that when he gets like into saying the song, he breaks in a way on these albums that he doesn't tend to do live. Or not in the live recordings I've heard. Choma, I think your first big break from everybody is maybe every little thing. Every yeah. little thing. Honestly, speaking about him being angry, that one I felt like really encapsulated it maybe the most clearly for me. Listen to how pissed off he is. Just, you know what? Fuck everything and fuck this and <laughs> fuck you. I, I, can, I, I can identify. It's, he's just like every fucking, it's just like a guy whose last nerve has just been gotten on and he's like over it completely. Right. Also, I do I do like how they do those beat switch ups where it's just like this part and then it just like hits that harder but slower bit. I really like that transition. Yeah, that's, so I uh, got to get what's been forbidden, I think. The album starts with that track and that track starts with three different tempos and or syncopations right mm -hmm. like like it starts slower it builds up to faster but then with all of the musical components come into the song the beat hit starts hitting your ear at a different in a different place than it was as the track was building up initially it, it's interesting and it's hard, like that's one of the, I feel like the side effects of garage music, like really like true kind of amateurish garage or like with these guys, they specifically want to sound unpolished. Oh, right. And like that variation in tempo, you're never sure if that's intended or uh, or if it's just a byproduct of, oh, I heard the song slower than it is. And now that the drums have come in, I've 
I realized it's actually much faster. And then, oh, I realized I was playing the one on the three. So now we got to... <laughs> yeah, agree that, yeah, there may be like a kind of amateurish explanation for all those things. One thing I did want to mention about this song that we just listened to was he talks, he, he says he, he feels like a div, which is like a British word for mentally disabled. I don't even know how you, what's the appropriate terminology these days? Like a mentally, yeah, slow, like mentally like slow. handicapped. Yeah, what, I don't yeah. know, whatever. Anyway, yeah, you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, he says, he. I, I, I'll see if I can find it exactly, but he says something about... <laughs> towards him there you go every little thing i give makes me feel like a div which is like a britishism i i don't know i heard that i was like okay yeah that's pretty funny Uh. listen britishisms are i can't even keep up with them anymore i was just talking to one of my friends the other day in the meme chat about somebody said something about a chav and i was like what what now and i like googled it and went down, the first Google result was an entire Reddit thread devoted to the difference between a chav and a roadman. And I'm like, yeah. I cannot <laughs> yeah. keep up with the pace at which this shit is changing. I yeah. cannot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think roadman, honestly. I can't remember. I can't remember what it was that caused Aubrey and I to go down the chav rabbit hole. It may have been we were watching Dairy Girls at the mm. beginning of the quarantine. I really enjoyed Dairy Girls. It was a really fun Netflix series. We and started I, watching it, but I think we need to watch the rest of it. I think we got two episodes in. I think they were throwing out the word chav, and I was like, wait a minute, what's the chav? <laughs> and we started going down the chav rabbit hole. I think the, the, hole, the, the two major so, sources of my knowledge of like British like slang is The Office, the original British Office. And then also this show called The Inbetweeners. I don't know. Have you guys ever seen that? Four high school kids acting like fucking morons. But it's hilarious. Anyway, uh, that, that's basically the... And, and, and of any British slang in the last 20 years, I guess I would say. You know, before that, like Bonnie Python or whatever. You know. Yeah. Yeah, so for me, I, I, so I had The Good Times Are Killing Me on my playlist where you guys don't have that. I enjoyed that as a title track. No, I got, yeah, the, good, I got it, the Good Times That Are Killing Me on there. That's my, all right, that's good, my okay. opening track. I just, I just, yeah, you have the ellipsis. Yeah. I had the ellipsis, yeah, yeah. So good. That means that my first deviation is Strict Nine. And Strict Nine, so it's a cramped cover. And. It was maybe the first song that really sold me on this band, but it was the Sound of the Baskervilles version, which yes. is actually performed by the head coatee. And yeah, it's just such a great, it's like a, what a great song to cover. This is a great song. It would have been my track, whatever. It's like the one I left off. And I felt like the, re- the reason I left it off just because it's a cover, like just they have, you know, the other songs, the original songs and I wanted to give those songs like some shine. But like for me, Strychnine, like, I feel like, so the, I, I don't know, I like to try and think about these bands and like the position they exist in and time and the music that they're, they influence. So like these guys, their sound comes back into play with a lot of the like American garage rock acts that come out of the like early 2000s into even now there are a lot of them still making that sound right like Jay retard bocs ty siegel like all these guys have these roots king gizzard and the lizard wizard like 
in Disney. The, the, and what's the other? Sick Alps. You guys remember Sick yep. Alps? For sure. Yeah. This sound comes back to America, but the way it hit a lot of British artists was the cramps, right? Like the cramps come out of Texas in the 70s, and the first place they really take off is the UK. Like, hear these like weirdos from, I can't remember where they're from in Texas, but hear these weirdos like coming out of Americana country rock like lo-fi country rock and taking that to the UK in the form of the cramps. And like seeing the head coats cover a cramps track just makes me happy. Like it just, it's one of those things that like reminds me how much this music feeds back on itself. It go comes from one place, goes to somewhere else, comes back as something different. And yeah, there's just some beauty in that. And Strict Nine's got, really good energy and it's not about being angry at women right yeah it's just a i feel like we really should highlight fun. that for the ones that <laughs> yeah randomly don't yeah. <laughs> but I, I will also say i'm happy that it's on this album because i get to talk about how much i love it i don't love their version as much as the head coatees so we got to listen to that in the after party we, we got to pull up some sound of the baskervilles for sure for the after party oh i dude i've got a bunch of ideas there uh, i want to listen to some also hassle adkins for sure right gotta listen to which, the which is exactly where i was going to go with this so like the cramps like one of the artists that they pull their rockabilly sound from is west virginia's own hassle adkins Right. The one, the man that heard, oh shit, what was the, who he was heard, it that he, he thought? Heard, he heard Hank Williams on the Grand Ole Opry. And, and thought he was playing everything. Because, like, they would announce him, Hank Williams, whatever. Right. And, like, it's a, he just didn't know. He didn't know. That, yeah, it was just Hank Williams playing every single instrument. And so then he figured out, he learned how to do a one-man band yeah. like, thing. And, and take Hank Williams and speed it up and punk rock it dude, in the so middle of like as much as we talk about the things that we did and didn't have access to growing up in rural West Virginia yeah. the Hayes grew up in a much more rural part yeah, of West Virginia he grew up in a much shittier place and not, and not to talk shit on the south, southern part of the state but it's a real I'll depressing talk state part. So, can I just say that for a hot minute at first Alonzo I thought you said Hassel Adkins and I was like there's a Hazel at, or Hazel whatever Adkins cover and and they're just like their shtick is that they're difficult. This is amazing. I want to know more. Like, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That I, I mean, like he. I think the Cramps were really instrumental in reintroducing him to the world because they, they found, cover they, a couple they Hazel his, Adkins uh, songs. They found his records, I think, um, randomly after. I think it was on, like, I know that they took a drive to Memphis when National Records or one of these companies was closing down and selling, like, selling off their entire, like, catalog of, like, printed albums. So the two founding members of the Cramps, like, drive from Texas all the way over to Memphis to basically buy, like, records. And I want I want to think that some of the Hazlakin stuff was part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they, so I think the story so, is that they covered one of his songs uh, called "She Said," 
Which is like probably one of the most famous like Cramps songs, I'm pretty sure. And then, and they covered it, yeah, they found his records, and they covered it, and then in the mid-80s, I think some members of the Cramps basically started an independent record label to put out his some of his new music. But basically, he spent like the 60s and the 70s playing night, like, bars and clubs in southern West Virginia, and as a one-man band, playing his, like, insane, demented, like rockabilly whatever and it is really demented we'll listen to some of the stuff and to me he's just i don't know i probably wouldn't i probably wouldn't want to be his friend he seems like he lived a fucking crazy ass life but to me he's just one of those like people like just too crazy for the rest of the world west virginia people that you just have to admire (laughs) you just (laughs) like how did you do that how did you make this music in the middle of nowhere and like how is it so unique and like creative and weird i don't know man it's a mystery he's like, awesome we'll listen to his shit he's from in the end, boone county by the way yeah in the end i just i really enjoy like the simplicity and like up-tempo nature of garage rock like it's just it's really fun and simple music and just enough anger there's just enough distorted simple chords it's, it's a beautiful thing and i think the edgos were a great like reintroduction to this whole world of like underground garage rock for me that yeah i didn't know existed until i went to college okay so what yeah so i did want to play the link ray song just for yeah the original rumble yeah so I do I like the song there's like a I think it's like a some sort of is it maybe an organ like a yeah it's like a Wurlitzer or something yeah some kind of organ playing a little something or other in the background there that riff is and the tempo that is being played at and the drums if the estate of Link Ray wanted to they might want to they could maybe I don't know it's pretty damn close but fortunately, yeah. I really like that song Rumble, uh, yeah. which we will absolutely listen to in the after party. But yeah, uh, very cool. Very cool. Very similar to Rumble. And then the other one I wanted to play is House on the Water. Yeah, which is the Kings. <laughs> Look, so here's the thing, right? Except for the one note. They like right. switched it's the one, one note. note. It's one and note. It's, like... it's just one note. I think that for me, like, how many different things can you add? Like mathematically, right? Like how, <laughs> like when you how how many power chords? Like in what arrangement can you actually do? There's a limited set. If your song, like obviously, like these guys have that Kinks inspired. The Kinks started this way back when. Like this sound of garage rock can be traced back to this same Kink song. The guitar sound, right? Like, for sure. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, this... the sloppy, like, crazy-ass playing, like, you could say, like, the Trashman. There are others, but, like, yeah. the guitar, the, like, super distorted, fuzzy guitar sound, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, again, I'm willing to forgive it. There, I really like that song. There were songs to rip off. Like, if, yeah. if you're taking that riff and you're changing one note, like... It, it, it's you know, like, is it the most creative thing? Probably not. But there are definitely worse bands and worse songs. You could 
way. It's it's sure. funny. You know what it reminds me of? Um, <laughs> there's an interview with Vanilla Ice from back in the day, where he, he's asked about Ice Baby, and like how it's like basically like this is the same thing as Under Pressure, right? It's like yeah. the same, right? And he's like, actually it's different. Under Pressure is dun dun dun. He's like. See, Ice Ice Baby is dun 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 dun. dun. So, <laughs> he added one note. <laughs> so, I will add before we get too our too far off topic because mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. I just shared a link in the chat for a Wa- a Wall Street Journal article of all places, talking about how the Kinks actually made that distorted sound on. I guess and you really got me was probably where they first did it, but it says to come up with a fuzzy distortion. They distress their speakers with knitting needles and razor blades, which is like straight. That's like some Peaky Blinders shit right there. Yeah, that's like yeah. straight British. <laughs> that's also similar to how Link Ray got the sound for the original Rumble. He took a screwdriver and jammed it through the cone of his of the speaker in his amplifier. And that's how he got the fuzzy distortion. So yeah, at this point in time, you had to break your shit to make it sound dirty. I like how he's just, I'm not going to sit here and go at it with things. I'm just going to one and done. Just like, all right. I play a little guitar, not enough to justify spending hundreds of dollars on effects pedals. Yeah. In a world where I have to look through a billion YouTube videos for a billion different options for a distorted pedal. Like, it certainly makes me want to jam a screwdriver through the speaker of my amplifier. (laughs) For sure. Also, and, and while we're on that subject, if you are a person who can who does play music and can justify spending money on effects pedals, uh, quick plug for Bookworm, Bookworm. Effects. Yeah. Yes. I, the only two effects pedals I've bought in the last 10 years have been from Bookworm Effects. So yeah, go to Reverb, look up Bookworm Effects, and give Brian Sprague your money because he makes some great stuff. And also, I just absolutely love, like, the actual, I don't know, art isn't the right word, the the decoration on them. Like, the Billy Pilgrim Overdrive is amazing. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, I have the Sweaters Boost, and I can't remember the name of the other other pedal that I have. It's a a crocodile-themed, but I can't remember what it is. They're fun. They're fun. You should break it. They are. Next time time I'm over, I should break out the fucking guitar man that'd be fun it's it's in the living room man anytime you're over we can you do remember our like impromptu like jams back in the day those were super fun man my biggest problem is that i never really like spent the time i needed to learn the instrument and uh, tend to come up with riffs that already exist in songs that i like and then realize that i've just played something else i enjoy already and yeah, but hey, look, dude, these guys basically played. These guys did, yeah. yeah. They just basically yeah. played like the Kinks, and so I think yeah. if they're doing that, you're fine. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the head coach. There's a lot out there. I'd definitely say go find some live albums, check out their live stuff. They still tour. Well, okay, not now, but no. <laughs> well, and and the name of the band now is something different than the head coats i can't remember the name of it it's changed this guy's basically had a similar sound across five different bands yeah it's 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 (laughs) yeah look it's it's great it sounds good it's reliable 
I think his most recent band is the Musicians of the British Empire. I think that may be right. Nice. So no, I, I think, I think uh, C C T M F, whatever that stands for. So I think another thing about just last thing I guess the last thought I had was, like, these guys they tour under normal circumstances. These guys tour the fuck out of the world. They've come to Albuquerque, which is not every band does that. So I don't know if they're like on Dick Dale level of playing every fucking two-bit club like in the whole country and Canada, but they tour a whole lot. And I think that's the only reason we're talking about them right now is their live shows, if we've seen them live, like they actually did the thing that a lot of rock bands can't really do, which is like just tour until everyone just fucking... <laughs> expects yeah. you every year and that's how you build a fan base that like lasts over time right for sure all right so out of five yeah. stars out of five stars anybody got anything they want to go throw out right out the I gate can just, I, I can go quickly out of five i can go quickly for me this is a three and a half star record i thought about this like it's eminently listenable it's very fun I'm definitely going to keep this in the rotation while I'm working. I don't know. If Katie makes me mad, maybe I'll throw it on a couple times. I don't know. But, but it's, like, for me, giving it a much higher rating, like, it might piss Billy Childish off. Like, his whole idea of, like, amateurism and all that shit, like, to me, a three and a half star rating is a working man's rating for, for this kind of music. So I'm going to stick with that. That's my go. Yeah, I, I think I would, I have it narrowed down pretty closely. I was either going to go with 3.5 or 3 only because weighing all the factors, I think this is really fun. And I think this is like the sort of thing that if you were like, if I'm pissed off, like absolutely, I would love to throw uh, every little thing on. Like it definitely has a time and place for sure. I don't think it's gonna be like something I listen to all the time, only because while it's a great example of what it is, I think, and maybe this is just a function of getting old, but I tend to prefer a little more melody in my punk these days. Like listening to No Effects this morning, I was just like reminded how well they actually worked melody in, and it's one of the reasons I love them so much. Or harmonizing, just like working with the notes more. But that's like my shortcoming and not theirs. So I think. Can I go with a 3.25? Can we get real precision? <laughs> All right. Cool. I think I exist in the 3.5, uh, maybe 3.75 uh, yeah. range. Um, <laughs> Just wait till I start dividing it by single points. You know, I'm going to adjust I mean, my rating to 3.62. <laughs> 3.625. 3, 3, 3, 3, 3, 3. So for me, there's a lot of bands that remind me of the head coats. And I'll listen to those bands very regularly because alternately to your change in taste, mine has gone more into dissonance as I get older. Really? I think as I was younger, I preferred and relied on a little bit more melody. And now I think I prefer a little bit more noise and disorder and dissonance and maybe a little bit less of the specific angry and more of the general angry. I've been listening to a really good hardcore band called Daughters recently that is 
very like strange in a Mr. Bungley face no more kind of way. And yeah, I frequently find myself thinking about the head coach when I'm listening to bands like the OCs or Ty Siegel, bands that I really enjoy in the garage rock scene. I think, oh man, it's been a while since I listened to the sound of the Baskervilles. I should go pick that back up. And I also think this is a really good representation of what I like about the head coats. This is four years into the band existing, and I think six albums, and it doesn't feel watered down. Like some bands get six albums in, and their sound changes significantly. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Everybody changes and grows. This is an album that still feels very true to what these guys sound like. I think they went through a lot of trouble in getting their live sound or their sound on this record as well. And I, I think that counts for a lot as well. So while I don't see it as like a shining, like perfect example of Garage, it is something I come back to a lot in some form, even if it's not this album. And I think this album is a good representation. So yeah, like 3.5 to four range. That's about where it sits for me. I don't know that I'll come specifically back to this album. I will be back to a lot of the head coats. And I also don't end up at any of his other bands most of the time. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's more about what I learned about and where this sits for me, but I, I really enjoy this stuff. This was a fun pick though, Ryan. This was fun. It was really easy and pleasant and Yeah, you know. it was very it was very just it was very easy to vibe to without having to put much effort in, which is always the mark of something good. I also remembered that Billy Childish had a sick burn for Jack White, so I'm amending three point five. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, we've talked about the documentary. If you Google, it's on Vimeo right now. A group called, what was the name of the... Let's see, the name of the page is uh, Doc and Roll Films. They have a rental of Billy Childish's Dead available on Vimeo for $7.99. And uh, there are a lot worse ways to spend $8 and an hour and a half of your life. Uh, or I'm sorry, an hour and nine minutes of your life. Yeah. But it is very focused on Billy Childish as a multi-talented artist and less focused on the head coach. It's got some good interviews. It's got some good history. Yeah, it's uh, including, so he's written novels despite being dyslexic. He writes poetry a lot. He's written a number of no novels. Larry Clark at one point talked to him about writing or doing a film of his first novel. Damn, I dude. don't believe that ever happened. Yeah, that's a good fit though, right? right like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, kids was a, like, that changed my outlook as a teenager. Uh, that that changed my outlook on the world, and it taught me how to roll a blunt. And so, I um, named I named yeah. my hoopy like piece of shit first car, the Virgin Surgeon, after Casper. It's Casper, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 No, no doubt. It is a good fit. And I guess the other thing I would say is go yeah go so go listen to go listen to Billy Childish. Go listen to the Head Coates. Go listen to fucking all these other cool bands. One band I've neglected to mention is a band called, it's, it, they're Peruvian? 
and they're like one of the original garage rock bands. It's called Los Psychos, like and Psychos is like S A I C O S. I might put on some stuff by them in the after shoot party, but there's some just awesome, fun, high energy music, garage music, rock music, and when this fucking pandemic bullshit is over, go fucking see a show. Go see, go see a yeah. show. They're so fun. Actually, probably they're the most fun I have at live yeah. shows. Just just the energy is like so high, so intense. They're usually not, like they're usually in small clubs, so you're just like, yeah. you're just with people and, yo, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I've said the band name a number of times. The OCs are probably still one of the best live shows I've ever seen and it, they're worth driving to go see. Also, from the corrections, department before the corrections department is established as a thing nice. the sonics were the first band to do strict nine in 1965 oh, so the okay. cramps covered the sonics oh and then i see the okay. head cuts all covered strict nine so that's funny dig up the sonics it. yeah the no, sonics no. probably need a little bit of money and attention because three years ago they were recording live stuff with kexp so they're still around that's cool that's super cool Okay, I think we're I think we're good. Join us. Thank you for